This week's up, feature family? is poet, spoken word artist, visual artist, registered nurse, activist, organizer, mother, and warrior for the folks, Asanto Boykin. Collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. And this is Resistance in Residence, where we profile artists using their gifts to change the world. This week's feature is poet, spoken word artist, visual artist, registered nurse, activist, organizer, mother, and warrior for the folks, Asantawa Boykin, who earlier this year released her first book of poetry, Love, Lyric, and Liberation, published by Nomadic Press. Good morning, Asantawa. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Full disclosure, you all, she's also the co-founder of the Anti-Police Terror Project and my my sister, who I've been organizing with since 2000 and, oh God, two, 2009, I think, is how long that we've been together since our days with the uh, Black August Organizing Committee. Um, so some, some of these questions feel weird because I know the answers already. But that said, let's start with a little bit about you. Um, talk about Little Asantua. Talk about where you grew up um, and how growing up um, informs your artistic practice today. Um, I grew up in San Diego, California, 619 online all day. Wow. Nowhere near the beach, uh, southeast. I remember this moment where, like, my mom had this old school B-Day curtain and it had broke. And I thought, like, what a waste. So I started making, like, earrings and bracelets out of it um, because I still saw it. I saw the components as beautiful still, right? Um, I've been writing since I was preteen. And I think initially... It's how I made the things around me make sense because a lot of the things that I saw didn't make sense. Like really folks who I looked up to were either like being disappeared or dying, right? Um, and writing is how I made that make sense in my in my brain. In terms of those things that you didn't make sense, I'm going to make a leap and assume, right, um that you're talking broadly about social injustices and particularly those that, you know, our black folks face. Um, when did you also decide that in addition to writing, that part of your life was going to be dedicated to improving those conditions? I think there came a point where I knew I had to do more than just write about it. Right. Um, that there is like change to be made and I wanted to go about making that change. I think my writing had always had a kind of revolutionary, right? I wish you could see the air quotes, like been to it or like a liberation lens. And there was a time when like Petco Park was being built downtown San Diego. And there was just so many more homeless folks around and it was starting to look a lot like Skid Row. And I had encountered like some folks that I went to school with and they were like, man, these folks are hungry. We can feed them. Right. And I think those, those activism, right. Sparks started kind of going off in my head where like you have a problem, you create a solution and it really is that simple. And then seeing all the bureaucracy going on at the city level where it's like, oh, well, what do we do with these people? And it's like, well, first, first let's feed them because they're starving, right? Like that, that problem solution based thinking 
somehow escaped them, but landed on me in a way that informed the way that I went about doing doing movement work. Asando, one of the bonds that that you and I share, that's that's layered, is that we both were raised by women who were almost too big for this world. Um, and, and both of us have lost uh, th- those women that this world could no longer contain. Talk to us about Mama Valerie and the ways in which she shaped you. Man, Mom. <laughs> oh, you set me up, bro. Uh, <laughs> you set me all the way up. So, like, my mom was always like she she was big, right? Like when she walked in a room, when her presence was there, there was no like questioning whether or not she was in the space. Um, I remember she came to visit me in Oakland, and she was such a fucking truth teller. Excuse my language. She was such a truth teller that she, like she would say things out loud and it would make everybody around her uncomfortable. You know? Uh, <laughs> and and there would be like no, there's no arguing with it, there's no rationalizing with it. There is just like this is the truth and you all know it. Now sit with that. Right? Oh. And I believe I got my tenacity from her. That's a nice way to put it. I'm very persistent. Like my mom never gave up when she wanted something, desired something. Um, she went at it full force. There's no stopping her. She convinced you to do the shit too. She, you know what I mean? Like she was just a force to be reckoned with and also a human being. And I think that even after, after her passing, we've gotten closer because looking at her life and her struggles in hindsight, she's more human to me now. She was not like a super person, right? Because I, I think we tend to do that as children, like see our parents as like superheroes or superhuman. And after her passing, sitting at my altar, talking to her, having, you know, memories, sharing those memories with my son, it really does it's humanized her. And she was a whole black woman born in a time where being black was not good, where being a woman was not good. And she like, she did the unexpected, all the unexpected (laughs) things. Right. Um, So I just really honor her, her tenacity to live the way that she wanted, even if it wasn't good, you know, or even if the folks around her didn't appreciate it. Yeah, one of the biggest gifts and I think actually like healing moments for me and my relationship with your niece, my my kid, mm. was when she looked at me and she said, I understand that you are more than just my mom. I understand that you are a full person. And I think not only was that a moment of her forgiving me for all the ways I messed up, but it also allowed me to forgive myself. And though it created this thing where I was like, dang, I wish I'd been able to give that gift to my mom before she transitioned, you know, because they, they, they were, they were whole people just as shaped by white supremacy and, and, and how messed up this world is as we are. Um, I was not about talk about being a mama and how that has 
impacted your art and your organizing? Man, being a mom is complicated, bro. Um, I'm at odds with it. I'm gonna just, I'm gonna tell the truth. Some days, I'm like, man, this shit is like really hard. I question sometimes like what I signed up for. And I love my son. I love my stepdaughter, right? My my bonus babies that she has. I love them all to death. And it, we have really beautiful moments. And some of those moments are not so beautiful. I think that when it comes to my activism, I am more, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm a whole poet. I'm even more passionate about creating those tangible changes, not just the theoretical ones, because I want my children, your children, right, to live in a world where they have access, where they can be unafraid, where they, I recently took a Johnny to Italy, big up to APTP for helping that happen. And I think that as a parent, it's one of my proudest moments because I've given my son a global view right? It took me hella years to get out of San Diego and even off of Turtle Island, right? And here he is already understanding that he is a citizen of the globe. Um, so much more intentional, right? Much more tangible-based solutions because I truly want our children to live in a better world um, and not just say we want to, <laughs> you know what I mean? Not just say we want them to have a better life. Yeah, I, I do. And I can promise you on the on the other side, right, with mine on the way out the door, that that, that global explo- exposure, mm. it, it, it matters, my G. That was, that was a good move on your part. Many good moves that you make in your life, Asantua, for your child, for all of our children, and for the people. And one of those moves is that you are a registered nurse, but you're not just a registered nurse who goes to work and takes care of sick people. You are a registered nurse who goes to work every day and challenges the murderous and violent practices of the medical industrial complex. And I I, I want you to spend just a bit uh, talking about, um, A, what we need to understand about why the medical industrial complex is just as deadly as the prison industrial complex, and then the, the weight of fighting that reality inside of the belly of the beast. And I'll just let folks know that Asante was also the co-creator of Mental Health First, APTP's uh, non-911 response to mental health and other community crisis. I think had I known now what I knew when I was in nursing school, like I might not have done it. That's, that's 100. Um, There's, and, and it's, there's this particular intersection of like emergency medicine, psychiatry, right? That really kind of lifts the skirt, right, of institutional racism because there's so many layers where folks, where it's acceptable to other folks, right? To make them, I was actually thinking this morning, sometimes folks are talking about patients, the patients are like in earshot and they're saying things that are like not pleasant. And I've had to be like, yo, they can hear you. Like there is actually no separation between you and them. Like y'all are in the same space. So be mindful of the way that you talk to, right? And about folks. Um, My particular um, ER has done some amazing work, not without pressure around diversity, inclusion, right? 
about really examining why police are allowed free reign of our hospital without being unchecked, right? Um, and, And I think that the biggest triumph is the question being asked, because especially in situations where folks are predominantly white, right? Um, and just don't have the same lived experience as the people that they're caring for. Sometimes folks get offended and just ask at the question, right? Being asked and they're like, whoa. But I, I really commend um, my my hospital, specifically my department, for asking the question, even if the question causes some folks, if not all of us, right, to be a little bit uncomfortable and have to sit with how are we practicing medicine, right? Like what assumptions am I making about my patient um, and how is that affecting the way that they're being cared for? Um, I think that experience with um, psychiatry, emergency medicine, that intersection is one of those things that really created a sense of urgency, at least in me, around creating image first because so many just golly. So, so many folks are being just like mistreated and like not murdered, right? Like we understood that folks were being murdered by, by police while in the midst of mental health crisis, but also the culture of rendering care to folks who are having mental health issues, especially in the crisis moment was just like, what are we thinking? <laughs> like, what are we doing? It was, was the question I was asking myself. And right, the problem solution thinking was, we need to stop folks from interacting with police, period. And MH First was, was the answer to that. We're going to get into the brilliance of your words shortly, uh, but I'm going to tell a story because uh, I want to talk about another piece of your art. And uh, there's a, an annual exhibit that happens in San Francisco called The Black Woman is God. Uh, shout out to, to Sister Karen uh, Sinefru. Um And I remember you going back and forth about whether or not you were going to submit. And you didn't know. Blah, 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 blah. And you did. And I was like, great. And then you were like, sis, I got in. And we were like, oh, of course you did. Um, And then we went, and I had seen you doodle, (laughs) (laughs) and I have probably seen some sketches, and I have rocked your jewelry, but when I went in and saw your work, like whole ass paintings with textures and layers and social and political commentary, and I was floored stunned you are a phenomenal visual artist and I I want you to spend including y'all the cover of her book Love Lyric and Liberation I want you to talk about your evolution as a visual artist and and how I mean like listening listening to poems about oppression and revolution right that's that's one thing talk about communicating the experience of black folks um, your passion, your pain, and your commitment to resistance through visual art. You're right. I do. I I I do a lot of creative things, and I, I'd have to say it's my the favorite my favorite part about uh, being being myself. 
Um, and I think as time has went on, I've just kind of settled into, I'm a creator, period. Like, no matter what space I'm in, I look for ways to create, whether that be art, care, poems, words. So it feels really good to for me to proclaim that right out loud. I am a creator. Um, with the visual art, it's something that, you know, in order to master something, you got to put in a thousand hours, right? Um, or at least that's what they say. And I have been like doodling and just drawing things just because my hands were free. And really initially didn't think that I was like any good at it, but things take practice, right? So I just continued to like doodle. I continued to paint. I picked up new mediums um, just because I like pushing envelopes. Obviously, I started adding different um, different mediums, right? Some of the stuff that was at the Black Woman is God is a combination of acrylic and digital art. I have only lived in a black woman's body as far as I know. Right. So I can only create things that are a reflection of my own lived experience. And I try to convey that when I create art, I think being a creator, um, and I, and I feel like you, you understand this, it's more than just, um, ability or talent. I think that there is a spiritual component to it. So I do my best to be intentional and ask myself, what is it that I'm creating? Um, Who is going to see it? What do I want them to feel? What do I hope that they feel? Or or what understanding that I I want them um, to come to? And a lot of the times I will imagine a person, right? And I imagine that person seeing or reading and they feel affirmed, right? There's something in them that doesn't make sense and it makes sense now. Um, I want them to see themselves, a reflection of them, maybe something that they can't see in a mirror, right? But something that they can get goosebumps, right? Something that will open open them more. I, I really like hard lines. Um, dark ones. I like the intention it takes to use something really simple and turn it into something complex. Like in like in using um, heavy dark lines, right? Like it's easy to draw like a fish, but how do you make that fish look realistic, right? With six or seven lines, right? Um, I think it takes um, intention and I see different right? That's one of the things that's been interesting about creating visual art is it's sometimes it's not about your ability to draw. It's about your ability to see the the shape that you're creating on the blank page. So funny you were saying that, and I'm looking at the cover of your book, Love, Lyric, and Liberation, and looking at the hard, dark lines uh, across this Black woman's body. So that feels like a good segue to ask you, Asantua Boykin, to please read us uh, a piece from your first collection of poetry, Love, Lyric, and Liberation. All right. Um, This poem is called Choices. For those of us who know that suicide is always on the table, those who have made love to our darkest thoughts in broad daylight, to those who have choked death's throat chakra and screamed in its place, let us be patient. For those of us whose breast bones 
find the floor before our knees. May we muster the energy to find our feet, if only in this particular moment. For we love as intensely as we hurt. We fight as briskly as we run. We drowned our sadness in bottles zigzags on the laps of bodies with unknown names, in movements, on lost souls, or in hollow pools filled with leeches, dying slowly in hopes to forget while being willing to die so we're not forgotten. Remember, breathing is on the table too. That would be the piece you read. It's actually one of my favorites. Listen, I was flipping through the book and I was like, is this the one? I was like, nah, too much. It was like, yeah, no, that's the one. That's the one. That's definitely the one. Um, all right. We're going to wrap this up shortly, but um, I, I want to talk about one fun fact about Asanto Boykin. Why don't you talk to my listeners about how much you love tacos? Oh, oh, you cold-blooded. <laughs> I can, listen, I can eat tacos every single day. My 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 partner actually gets irritated because he'll be like, what you want for dinner? And I'll be like, why are you even asking me, bro? Like, you know, <laughs> like, you know the answer to this question. Uh, being from San Diego, it's like, how do you not not like tacos, but I, I legit can, um, can eat them every day. It's the only thing I ate when I was pregnant with my son. Yeah. Bye. All right. Asantra Boykin. Uh, very lastly, lastly, where can people cop the book and where can folks find you on the socials? Um, I am at Asantawa RN on all of the platforms. The book is available on nomadicpress.org. And they also have a Black Writers Fund that provides assistance to Black authors. So buy the book, donate to the Black Artist Fund, um, support Black art. All right. Asandra Boykin, thank you so much for talking to us today. Y'all, you are listening to Law Disorder. I'm your host, Kat Brooks. And this week's feature, uh, Resistance and Residence Artists, is poet, spoken word artist, visual artist, registered nurse, activist, organizer, mother, and warrior for the folks, Asantua Boykin, who earlier this year released her first book of poetry, Love, Lyric, and Liberation, published by Nomadic Press. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. <laughs>